before it even began. Things that went wrong happened uh, in the production line and so on, and many of you were probably watching all those events unfold on television. Maybe you were gripped with the nation and the world into what's happening with these astronauts. Are they going to make it home? And they are given the task of figuring out how do you put a square peg in a round hole, essentially. What worked to clean the air in one part of the ship wouldn't work in the other part. And they had to figure out, using only the parts that they had on the ship, only what they were given, the only tools they had, how do you make this happen? And you see there the, 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 the line, we got to come through. And then somebody says, and get some coffee going as well. And so they knew, they knew it was going to be a tough, tough deal. You know, we've all faced something like that. You know the end of that story that what they tried worked. And the ingenuity and the wisdom of the people working on that space mission was incredible. And they were able to bring those astronauts home. But I really believe that all of us have faced something that seems like an impossible task. Something that you just think, there is no way that I can do it, but I have to. It's mandatory. You don't have any choice. And it requires you to get creative. It requires you to work together with other people, to refuse to give up, to refuse to fail. And you have come through in situations like that. You may be thinking right now of something at work or at school or at home or on a team or whatever it may have been for you throughout your life that you think back, you know, really, when I was handed this, I thought there's no way it can happen. It's impossible i got to get it done. we got to come through, but really, it's, it's impossible. It just seems like trying to put a square peg in a round hole, but you've come through. You can think back to those kinds of successes, and you did something that maybe before you thought there's no way this could ever happen, a mandatory mission for which you had to come through. We're going to look this morning at a mandatory mission that's given to all of us and has even greater significance than saving the lives of three astronauts on a crippled spaceship circling the moon. We're going to see that in Matthew chapter 28. I want you to turn there with me. For many here today, this will be a very familiar passage of Scripture. For others, you may have heard the term the Great Commission, and you will recognize these words perhaps when you see them. For others, this may be brand new, and, and that's okay. What we'll see this morning is this mandatory mission that's given to all of us. Even if you've never realized this is your mission in life, we're going to see it today. But it's one, honestly, that seems like what was handed to those folks we saw in the video clip in Apollo 13. Seems very difficult. We're in a series, and we'll finish up next week, called Easter in the Lord's Own Words. And you think, well, Easter, are you talking about the crucifixion, the resurrection? No, not this morning. We're talking about the events that happened after that. Jesus was on earth. For a little over a month after he was resurrected, and he did several things during that time. We've looked at a little bit of that. And this week and next, we'll look at what were some of the last words that he said. And I don't know about you, but last words of folks seem to be pretty important. And so Jesus was going to leave them with some words, his disciples, with some words that he wanted them to remember. Some things that they needed to keep in mind. And so that's the context that we have this morning. Jesus is about to go back to his heavenly father back to glory in heaven, and yet he's got some, some things he wants to tell the disciples. So Matthew chapter 28 is where we'll be uh, during the beginning, and I'm going to show you some other things as we fast forward just a little bit. We'll see that as we move forward. Matthew chapter 28, look in verse 16. Matthew 28, 16. The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped, 
but some doubt it. I love that part. Who in the world would doubt at this point? But anyway, then Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Here's Easter in the Lord's own words this morning. Write it down. Make no mistake. It's extremely simple. But most of us ignore it or overlook it. We have been given. You are on a mandatory mission from God. And it's very simple. Make disciples. It seems so simple. But most of us, let's be honest, stare at it like we're trying to put a square peg in a round hole. My view is that there is no other mission. No other vision for the church except that, period. That's where it begins, and that's where it ends. I go to conferences, I read books, I hear people talk about the church needs a vision statement, the church needs a mission, and I say, Jesus already gave it to us, we've just ignored it. We've just missed it. We've just not done it. The mission that we've been given as a church and as individual Christians is extremely simple. It is to make disciples. That's where it begins that's where it ends. My view is also, though, that unfortunately, though we probably know this, and many of you nod your heads when I say that in agreement, that unfortunately very few churches and very few Christians operate with this as their only mission for their church and for their life. I realize we have other things to do in life besides simply be at church. This is not about being at church, so hear me out today. I wonder why it is that we struggle with that. Why don't we do what Jesus said? We all know what he said. We can all read it right here. And for most of you, it's in red letters, so you think that matters a whole lot. We know what he said. Why don't we do what Jesus said? You know, I wonder about that. I wonder if if maybe it's because we're aiming at the wrong target a lot of times. We're trying to raise good church members and good citizens rather than make disciples. Maybe good citizens and good church members is a byproduct of making disciples, but it certainly shouldn't be our target. Maybe it's because of apathy. And if we were to go around and simply be honest with each other today, we we feel like we're all right. Maybe our family's all right. Our church is all right. And we just don't really care about other folks. Now, I'm not saying that about anybody in particular. But let's be honest. Some of us would have to say, you know what? If I'm honest this morning, I'm just not sure I care that much about people on the outside of Christianity. But maybe it's fear. Maybe why we don't do what Jesus has told us, our mandatory mission of making disciples, because we're afraid. Maybe we're afraid of change. We don't want to change anything in order to have that happen. Maybe, maybe we're afraid of the people that are on the outside, and we're not sure about, about them. You read the newspaper, you watch the news, and you say, I don't know if I want to even get close to what's on the outside of, of Christianity. Uh, maybe, maybe it's ignorance. Maybe we really don't understand what the purpose of the church is. Or what the purpose of our lives as Christians is. Maybe maybe we really don't know how many people aren't living with Jesus Christ every single day. Maybe it's just ignorance. Or or maybe it's preferences. Maybe in churches across America we have allowed our preferences to lead us rather than letting God's word lead us. All those things are very easy to fall into. And I find myself lining up with each one of them from time to time. So if you're there then I join you. But my goal beginning today is to overcome all that. I want us to overcome all the reasons why we don't do what Jesus says, both as a church and as 
individual Christians. I want us to overcome all of that beginning today. Now, I realize it's not going to happen overnight. Uh, that's probably one of the more frustrating things about being a pastor is you can't snap your fingers and have everything you want right when you want it. And everybody does exactly what Jesus says all the time, every day. It's not going to happen overnight. But we can start today. We can begin today, maybe just afresh and anew, begin today to see our mindset change, to see our vision renewed, going back to our original mission of making disciples, so that our only concern at Elm Grove Baptist Church, both as a church and as individuals, is whether or not we are fulfilling our mandatory mission to make disciples. I want that to be, I'll just be fully honest with you as your pastor, I want that to be our only concern. I believe that's where vision and mission begins and ends at the church is that we are making disciples. And I want that to be our only concern. In all of that, I believe everything else will take care of itself. I believe folks will be loved on and cared for. I believe people will want to be here. I believe they'll, they'll find a friendly place. I don't believe anybody will fall through the cracks if we lift up as our vision and our mission what Jesus said to do, making disciples. I think it will all take care of itself because it did in the book of Acts. It's possible. Well, that's what I hope to accomplish beginning today is just simply to get us on the path, maybe even just a renewed purpose for that. I want to share with you a few things that are important to know about the mission, and then I'll give you what that mission requires. So I want you to focus with me for just a few moments here in Matthew 28, and then we'll look at some other passages in just a moment. One of the things that I've already mentioned that I want to make sure that we understand is that this mission is indeed mandatory. Now, you're not going to see these things on the back of your bulletin, so don't, don't freak out. But if you want to write these things down on the margin of your Bible or there on your bulletin, that's fine. But some things that I observe about this mission given to us in Matthew 28 is that it is indeed mandatory. Jesus says, go. Now, you realize it's interesting. The, the real command in this passage of Scripture is not go, it's make disciples. That's the real command. Jesus actually uses terminology and puts it in a tense when he says the word go that just basically means as you go. Going is implied. He was sending the disciples out, and he said, you know, as you go, as I send you, make disciples. It was mandatory. It was simply something they would do as they went, wherever they went, to whomever they went. And the same is true for us. It's, it's mandatory to, to be on the go. It's mandatory also for every believer for all time. There are some who would argue that this was given only to those 11 as they stand there. I can't see why in the world God would give his mission only to 11 people and then expect that it would simply carry on with no one else doing it after those 11 died. They were not superhuman. They're dead, every single one of them. And yet the implication was through the book of Acts that all disciples of Jesus Christ would continue to perpetuate and be exponential in making more disciples. We see that as it plays out. So it's evident that God intended this commission, this mission to be for all believers for all time. There will never be, until Jesus returns, a time when we are released from this mission as Christians and as churches. Never be a time when we're released from this mission. And as long as there is breath in your lungs, you and I are not released from this mission either. You may say, well, I can't, I can't do the things that I once did. I tell you this, you may not be able to physically do what you once did. But you can still be about making disciples and facilitating and helping to facilitate the making of disciples. We've all got a part to play. It's, it's, it's required for every believer for all time. And let me tell you this, you are uniquely positioned to make disciples of the people that God has placed around you. You realize that I can't reach the people you work with? I can't do it. 
uh, maybe some of you are convinced, and I, I certainly hope not, but maybe some are convinced if I just get that person to church, then that pastor will get them saved. <laughs> I'll, I'll do my best to present the truth to them. God will do the saving, but you're uniquely positioned to reach them yourself. You say, I don't even know how to do that. Like I said, it's not going to happen overnight. Let's get started today. Receiving this mission, it's for every believer for all time, but it's also mandatory for every church for all time. The local churches that were established right after Jesus goes back to heaven all had this as their mission, their mantra. That's what we're going to be about. They viewed themselves as equipping stations to train believers and send them out to make disciples of their friends and their neighbors. And Paul, the Apostle Paul in particular, got really angry with churches who forgot that. <laughs> he got really mad at churches who took their eye off the ball and began to do other things that didn't pertain to making disciples and squabbling over things that had nothing to do with the mission that Jesus had given them. And so every church, since the establishment of Christianity upon the resurrection of Jesus, every church has had the same mission, and that's to make disciples. And so we as Elm Grove, we... We're on a mission. Not only you individually, but look around. You've got lots of folks that we join together as this local body of Christ that we join together to be on mission together. It's also an empowered mission. Not only is it, is it mandatory, but it's empowered. Look, look at, look at uh, verse 18. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. What does he do then? He sends them out with that same authority. You may say, I love the people in my family, I love my friends, and I love my neighbors, and I so desperately want to see them come to know Jesus. I know that without Jesus Christ, without faith in His death and resurrection is the only hope for them, that they are going to die and spend eternity in hell. I know that, and I love them, and I want to see them come to Christ. But if you try to do that on your own, you're just giving a motivational speech. That's all you're doing. It may be a great motivational speech about Jesus Christ, but without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit leading you and going ahead of you and following behind you, it's just a speech. But with His empowerment, when Jesus sends them out, He says, Receive the Holy Spirit and go as I have gone. And that's when we see results. And so I encourage you to, to pray for those folks that you want to reach, that, that the Holy Spirit will begin to work in their lives and work in their hearts and that the Holy Spirit would use you in a very unique way. It's an empowered mission, one that only God can help us to fulfill. It's also a mission with the highest purpose. Verse 18 says this, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. I mean, you, you picture yourself there with those 11 disciples. And, and they have no idea what's about to happen. Jesus is about to leave them. They don't know what to do. And he says, go and make disciples of all nations. Everybody you come in contact, all the, the different languages and people groups, you guys, you 11, that's what your mission is. I don't know if they lacked purpose before now, but I guarantee you what, if they, if, if they did not receive some purpose right here from Jesus Christ, they weren't paying attention. There's so many folks who walk around and many folks represented here today who say, my life means nothing. You know what, if I were gone, nobody would miss me. I really don't matter to anybody whatsoever. And you may feel that way, but let me tell you this. When you get on board with the mission of Jesus Christ, your life takes on a brand new purpose that nothing can shake, that nothing can destroy, that not even loneliness or hurt or grief or all the pain you can experience can shake your purpose in life because when you are on mission for Jesus Christ, you have the highest purpose that you could ever imagine. 
that you could ever conjure up on your own. To see people come to faith in Jesus, this baptizing portion of this, to see people then walk in obedience and live for Jesus on a daily basis, the teaching portion of that, there's no greater purpose. You may have a passion or a gifting or an interest in things like basketball or fishing or riding or quilting or teaching or farming or encouraging people or golf or whatever it may be, but let me tell you this. There is nothing like seeing those things be used for God's glory to reach people for Jesus Christ. I'm not here to tell you that you should all quit your jobs and you should all come and hang out at the church 24 hours a day because that's the only place you can do mission for Jesus. That's, that's far from the truth. But what I am saying is all those things that we live for, all those things that we enjoy doing, God can use every single one of them. And He's uniquely designed you and He's uniquely designed me to see those things be used for His glory, to be used to reach other people. It's by no accident that you like fishing. It's by no accident that you're good at whatever it is that you're good at. It's by no accident, I've told people this before, and you all probably get tired of me talking about it, but it's by no accident God made me a good baseball player, or at least I used to be. My old washed-up has-been now. But you realize it wasn't just so my parents could save some money on education for me when I was in college. That's not what it was about. That was a great blessing, absolutely. But it's not what it was about. It's about something that he wants to do through what he gave me for his kingdom. I don't yet know all that he wants to do through it, but I'll tell you what. I'm not going to apologize for it, and you shouldn't apologize for what God has gifted you to do. Instead, leverage it as best you can. What has God gifted me to do? What has he given me interest in? And let's see those things be used for his glory, each and every one of us to see what God can do through. There's no greater purpose than that. Let me encourage you with that stuff. You may think, well, I, I just like to piddle around in a garage. I just, I don't really do much. You know what? There's other folks that like to piddle around in a garage that need Jesus. And you may be the person piddling around in a garage that God uses to reach other people who just piddle around in a garage. You talk about a purpose. That gives whole new meaning to piddling around in a garage, doesn't it? It's a, it's a mission with great purpose. It's also full of promise. Look at the end of verse 20. Remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Jesus promised to be with us. Even when the mission gets hard, even when it gets confusing and frustrating and you feel like you're failing and you just want to give up, you're discouraged, all that stuff's going to happen. Jesus said, I'll be with you. He gives us this mandatory mission, but he doesn't leave us on our own. He empowers us. He gives us great purpose. And he promises to be with us. It seems so simple that we should then just say, all right, I see it says it right there in red letters, go and make disciples, and that's what I'll do. It seems so simple, yet there are few of us that feel like we're being successful at it. There are a few of us who want to really attempt those things. There are a few of us who probably really are being faithful at doing that. Why is that? Well, I wonder if we understand what this mission requires. And that's what I want to leave you with this morning. Three things that as we fast forward into the lives of these disciples, not long after these events happened in Matthew 28, that we'll see that they had to apply in order to make disciples. What were they about? What did this mission require? The first thing is to live differently. Live differently. Flip over to the book of Acts if you want to. Acts is just a few books to the right of Matthew. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. I want you to look in verse 13 of chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. 
What's happened so far in the book of Acts is that the disciples have waited as Jesus has told them for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon them. That happens. They then are sent out radically uh, to preach about Jesus to all the people that they come into contact with. And they begin doing that. Uh, the religious establishment doesn't like it. They, they don't like the fact that these new Christians are now sending people in an uproar because they're not following the Jewish law anymore. And look what it says in verse 13. When they observed, talking about the religious people, the, the religious leaders, the police, if you will, when they observed that the, of the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men. Now, let me ask you this. Hold on just a second. Raise your hand this morning if you have a theological degree from a religious institution or seminary. Come on. Seriously. None of you? You mean after college, nothing burned in your heart to go to seminary or cemetery, as some people call it? You know what that means is that everybody here, and I've been to seminary, and I'm still going, but for the most part, I'm uneducated and untrained. I learned a lot by pastoring a church, not necessarily by sitting in a classroom. When they observed, look at this, here, here's who we are, that Peter and John, they observed the boldness and realized they were uneducated and untrained. Guess what? That's most Christians. That's how the apostles started. They didn't go to seminary. They just spent time with Jesus. Look at the next part. They were amazed and what? Knew that they had been with Jesus. You say, I don't know how to do it. Well, I tell you what, if I'd gone to seminary and learned all that stuff, well, then I, I could study the Bible. I could teach the Bible. Then maybe I just need to take a few courses. Let me tell you what you and what I need far beyond any education or any training. We need to be with Jesus. Most of us know that. And yet most of us aren't with Jesus on a regular basis, are we? Nobody raised their hand when, when I said, do you have a seminary education? But everybody could raise your hand and say, I've had opportunity this week to be with Jesus. Maybe I took advantage of it, maybe I didn't. Let me tell you, the key to making disciples is to begin to live differently by having been with Jesus. What in the world does that mean, you say? Oh, I'm going to be with Jesus. Does that mean I get a statue and I sit it in the car next to me and we drive around, I put a seatbelt on him and everything? What do I do? That's not what I'm talking about. Jesus simply says that we are to spend time reading the Scripture about Him and from Him. And we're to spend time in prayer. And if you'll begin those two things this week, you say, man, I've never read the Bible before. Start in the Gospels. Start reading about Jesus. Start understanding who He is how he lived, how he loved people, what he did, what he thought. Begin to spend time in prayer saying, Lord Jesus, make me like you. Come and, and spend time with me. I guarantee you, you'll see results in your life, maybe not overnight. But you'll begin to live differently, and you'll see how Jesus lived, which means that you'll engage people outside our little Christian bubble that we like to live in. Everybody likes that. Everybody likes our, our Christian bubble. I do too. I'm bad about it. I love it. But it's not biblical. When you begin to live differently and live like Jesus, you'll live as if you truly believe you're sent wherever you go. You'll believe that that trip to Walmart wasn't just about getting toothpaste. 
that there may be somebody that God puts in your path, even that person in front of you, who jumps in the 20-item line with 43 things. You counted them. That's over, over twice as much as they should have. Even that person, maybe that person you're sent to in that moment. I don't know. But when you begin to live differently, live like Jesus, you'll live as if you're truly sent to the people that God puts you around every day. You'll live as if you're the only godly influence the people you encounter will ever have. I can't give you any better advice on how to have influence with people than to live as if you're the only godly influence they'll ever have. You want to live differently, you begin to view life that way. And every interaction you have, every road rage moment that you have that tempts you and you get so fired up, you realize, I'm going to live as if I may be the only godly influence this person will ever have. Well, they deserved it. Certainly they did. Certainly they did. But when you live like Jesus, you're willing to sacrifice, willing to go to the cross, so to speak. Live differently. Live concerned with the things that concerned Jesus. And when you live like Jesus, you'll see what he sees. You'll think what he thinks. You'll do what he does. I'll promise you this will be rare. It'll be lonely. And it'll be highly unpopular. Now that all sounds really fun, doesn't it? But I wonder, do we have the guts to live differently? Individually and collectively in order to reach people for Jesus Christ. It takes guts. Holy Spirit empowered guts to do it. Because it's going to be rare. And it's going to be lonely. And it will be unpopular. Do we have the guts to do it? Secondly, lead differently. Live differently, lead differently. Flip over just a little bit, Acts chapter 5. I love Acts chapter 5, verse 27. The apostles here are on trial for preaching about Jesus. They they told them that we're going to keep doing it, and they were arrested for it. Look at verse 27. When they, talking about the religious police, had brought them in, They had them stand, them being the disciples, before the Sanhedrin. And the high priest asked, didn't we strictly order you not to teach in this name, not to talk about Jesus? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to bring this man's blood on us. Peter and the apostles replied, I love this, look at this. We must obey what? God. We must obey God rather than men. But what a great statement right there. They said, no, no, we're not going to follow your lead. (laughs) We're going to follow God's lead. And you may not like it, but I don't care. I just love it. You think the apostles were just these meek, you know, weak kind of little guys. They said, basically, no. Shut up. We're not doing it. You can tell us all you want. You can arrest us every single day, but we're not going to stop. What goes on in this story then is a, is a man from within that religious police tells the guys, look, now, uh, we saw before that somebody else was kind of raised up here, and and their movement died out. Just give it time, because if this isn't from God, then it'll die out. But if it is, you can't stop it anyway. Some great wisdom there. And then in in verse 33, uh, excuse me, flip to verse 40. Verse 40. This guy persuades them to... to, uh, to kind of let the apostles continue. Verse 40, he says, After they had called the apostles in and had them flogged, they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and release them. Then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin. What? Discouraged, frustrated, because they, they can't talk about Jesus anymore. The laws say you can't do it. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be dishonored on behalf of the name. And then verse 43, Every day, 
They've just been told not to do it. Every day in the temple complex, you know where the, the seat of Judaism was, where all the religious police were gathered, the temple complex, that's where they go. And in various homes, they continued teaching and proclaiming the good news that the Messiah is Jesus. Isn't that something? They were willing to lead completely differently, not by what was popular, not by what was told to them by other people who didn't want them to do what they were doing, but they said, we must obey God rather than people. And then in verse 1 of chapter 6, it says, In those days, as the number of disciples was multiplying. Verse 7 says this way, So the preaching about God flourished. And the number of the disciples in Jerusalem multiplied greatly. And a large group of the priests became obedient to the faith. They said, no, no. We're going to lead as God has called us to lead. Not as people want us to lead or think we should lead. We're going to obey God. You realize that always requires sacrifice? They were flogged. They had no money. They had everything taken away from them eventually. It's going to require sacrifice. If you want to make disciples, if we as a church want to make disciples, we've got to lead differently. It's going to require sacrifice. Physical, emotional, spiritual, financial sacrifice. It's going to require diligence. That we're going to have to get out and we're going to have to ask questions of the kinds of people we want to reach and figure out what's going on in their lives and be diligent to... To, to refuse to give up, to refuse to fall behind or just coast in our mission. It's going to require lots of courage. You look at these guys. They were what? Ordinary and untrained and uneducated people. They're no different than you and me. They're just regular guys. Peter, in fact, was the guy who was so scared when Jesus was about to be crucified that he denied that he even knew him. And look at him now, making disciples through great courage. When you live differently, you'll lead differently, and you'll have a different set of courage Challenging the status quo and just the way things have always been won't bother you as much. It's not easy, but it won't bother you as much because you realize God has called you to lead differently. You'll be willing to endure and to manage the conflict that comes from those who really just want to talk about making disciples but aren't willing to make the sacrifice to make it happen. Lead differently. And then thirdly, love differently. It's the most important one. Many of us here are living differently from the rest of the world. Many of us are willing to say, you know what, I'll, I'll lead differently. I'll help us go. I'll help myself, my family go in a, in a direction that God wants me to. But, but here's where the rubber meets the road. Look in Acts chapter 10. Flip over just a little bit, verse 28. Peter, the disciple, has had a vision from God. And God has told him to go to a certain group of people that, that Peter was very appalled by. Non-Jewish people. They were not in the religious establishment. They were unclean, according to the laws back then. And yet, that's exactly who God said, that's who you're going to go and love. In verse 28, he shows up and talks to this particular person God told him to go to. And he said to them, You know it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate or visit with a foreigner. This isn't right, he says. According to the law, this is not what I'm supposed to be doing. But God has shown me that I must not call any person common or unclean. That's why I came without any objection when I was sent for. So I asked, why did you send for me? And you know what? They just wanted to hear about Jesus. They'd had a vision too. They wanted to hear about Jesus. And Peter says, you know what? You're not my preferred type of person. 
In fact, it's against my religious beliefs for the most part, at least what I've grown up with, to even associate with somebody like you or to even visit with you. But God has shown me that I'm to love you no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, and no matter where you grew up. I'm to love you anyway. And so here I am. What do you need? Just picture the conversation. Peter didn't know exactly why he was going there. God just simply said, I'm sending you to these people that you hate that you're not comfortable around, that you'd rather avoid at all costs. You'd rather never see them or talk with them. You'll be cordial if you have to, but you don't want to associate. You don't want to have a conversation with them. That's who I'm sending you to today. Peter shows up and he says, look, I have no clue I'm here. All I know is that what I've been raised on says I don't associate with these people. But God's told me something different. So here I am. What do you need? And he gets to lead them all to Jesus. We've got to love differently. Just like Peter was taught to love a different group of people, you realize that we can't reach a community that we don't truly love. And I'm not talking about the community of folks that you already know. I'm talking about the community of people that we don't know that are far from Jesus. We've got to love those that we would never normally associate with. We've got to love enough to figure out what's it going to take to reach our community. We've got to love enough to actually then do the things that will reach our community. Love enough to pray for people who need Jesus. Love enough to change what we do as individuals and as a church, if need be, in order to see people come to Christ. We've got to love enough to take the first step, even if we're not really sure what that means. We've got to love enough to go above and beyond what you and I already do. Love enough to die to ourselves and our own preferences, myself included. We've got to love enough to make friends with the kinds of people that God has called us to reach. You know, the tendency, as I mentioned, is to form a little Christian bubble and live in it. Uh, all, I've, all the people I know, uh, they go to church and they seem okay. That's, uh, those are my folks. That's all I know. But you realize that's not reality. In fact, it's not reality in our community and certainly not even reality in our own churches. I asked permission from a local youth pastor, and I won't mention his name or the church or any specifics about certain people there. It's a great church, and he's a great youth pastor. But I asked permission if I could quote him from a, an article that he wrote about something he did in his church where he, he asked for his students to just simply write on some index cards the sins that are in their lives. And he was just curious, what are my kids dealing with? And after talking about how Murray was voted the friendliest small town in America, and I truly believe it, he just said, under all of that is true reality. He says this about those sins. Most of them were your standard teenage stuff, rude to parents, talking about other people, dating one guy and being interested in another, struggling with siblings, not focusing on school, and so on and so forth. He said, but there were some that hurt to read. These are kids in Murray and Cowley County. Listen to this. A girl who cuts herself and covers it by bullying other people. Several guys who admitted to pornography. One who admitted to repeated inappropriate text messages to different girls. Still others who admitted to pot, alcohol, and other substance issues. Broken relationships, sexual promiscuity, dysfunctional family situations, same-sex attraction, you name it, it's sitting on my dining room table. The tears and the shame visibly evident. That's here. We could have taken that survey of any students in Murray or Callaway County and gotten the same results. We cannot assume that living in our Christian bubble, everybody's okay. 
all the people I know go to church. Because even within the church, people need the love of Christ. It's easy for us to say, well, we're here, and if they need us, they'll find us. Just come on in. No problem. We'll welcome anybody. It's easy to say that, but let me be honest with you. It doesn't work anymore. It may have worked years and years ago when our cultures and our communities were more bent toward going to church, but it's not the case anymore. If you take simply the Baptist churches in and around the Murray area, there are 25 of them. Out of 75 religious institutions, and yet 80% of the people in our county don't go to church. They're not connected with any of them. We've said we're here if they need us, and we've been ignored. They haven't been angry with us. They've just ignored us. Instead of saying, well, we're here if they need us, what we, I hope, will begin to think and begin to say is we're going to reach this community no matter what it takes. I don't know what it means. I don't know how it'll play out. But no matter what it takes, let's reach this community. Because loving those who only fit within our Christian bubble, and let me tell you how guilty I am of this too, loving those who only fit within our Christian bubble is a sin. Plain and simple. I don't like to admit it because I have to admit I've sinned. <laughs> I don't like to call us out on it because I don't want you to feel any condemnation from me. I simply want you to hear the Word of God. But loving only those who are already within our Christian bubble is a sin. Jesus said to love your neighbor as yourself. And you know who he drew out as a neighbor? The person you'd never associate with. The person you'd hate. We saw the video clip. We've been given this mission, and we've got to come through. I wonder, are you and I, are we willing to be sent, or are we just content to sit and to do nothing? Are we willing to seek God's vision for our own lives and for our church? You say, I want to be equipped. I want to be sent out. That's me. I don't know what I can do. I'm old. I'm young. I'm somewhere in between. I'm not sure what God has called me to, but, but, but I, don't know, I don't know how to do it. But I tell you this, I don't want to miss what God is doing. That's all I'm looking for this morning is for all of us to say, I may not understand it. I may not be able to do everything that's required, but I don't want to miss what God is doing. Let me give you three things to do this week, and I'm going to close. I want you to pray this week. I want you to learn, and I want you to talk. I want you to pray for the people who need Jesus in your life, in your home, in our community. And I want you to pray that God would work in and through us to reach those people. I really mean that, to begin to pray. I, I have to admit to you my guilt. I don't often pray for those who need Jesus like I should. So let's join together this week. And you say, I don't know where to start. Start by praying. Let's start on our knees before the Lord to say, God, there are people that in my family, in my job, in my home, in my community, wherever it may be, that I know don't know Jesus. I'm going to pray for them. And pray also that God would work in and through us, that he'd stir our hearts with love for them. And then I want you to learn. I want you to learn all you can. Have one conversation, maybe standing in line. Just figure out what somebody's going through. Just learn about somebody. You know, that's not too hard. You might have to ask a question or just pay attention a little bit. Learn what, what is a person who's not a part of our Christian bubble, what are they going through? And then I want you to talk about it. Talk about it with each other, maybe in Sunday school next week maybe in a Bible study this week, maybe just in casual conversation or talk with me, talk about how it is that you believe we must live differently and lead differently and love differently in order to fulfill our mandatory mission of making disciples. This is a heavy sermon this morning. I want you to know I recognize that, and I struggle with it too. 
I don't want you to receive it out of anything but love and seeing us be the church and be the individuals God has called us to be. That's it. It's my heart. It's the only place I'm coming from. I don't have a list of changes that I've gotten and say, well, we're going to do this, 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 and this. I want us together to hit our knees before the Lord and say, God, you use us to reach our community, and you tell us where. And then let's do it. So receive it in love this morning. You have a great but mandatory mission to make disciples. God can use you in unbelievable ways. You are strategically positioned just for that. So let's live differently and lead differently and love differently to see people come to Christ. Would you pray with me? For the next couple of moments, I just want you to to talk to the Lord. I'll give you an opportunity in just a second just to be very quiet before the Lord and say, God, you teach me. Where is it I need to live differently? How do I need to lead differently? How and who can I love differently? Spend a moment and just respond to the Lord based upon those things. God, we know you've sent us out. And Lord, for many, myself included, we often forget that. We get busy with other things and we take our eye off the ball. So this morning we pray you'd refocus us. And you'd help us, Lord, to live differently and to lead differently and to love differently to make disciples for you. Lord, I pray for those who this morning are frustrated by a sermon like this. Maybe don't like it, that they bristle at it just a little. God, I I pray that, that you would use even that response to motivate them, to help them to see the people that are around them that you've so strategically placed in their lives. Lord, I pray for those who, who jump at something like this, that God, you would, that you would begin to put practical wisdom into place for them, to know exactly how to go about it. And Lord, for those of us who may be on the fence, God, I pray that you would help us to see that there is nothing greater toward which we can leverage our lives than the mission of Jesus Christ. Lord, may that be true for each individual and each family in our church. That we, above all else, would place our greatest priority on fulfilling our mandatory mission. God, help us and encourage us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.